0: Section Five of The Rover, Volume One, Number Twenty Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ginny Rosario. The Rover, Volume One, Number Twenty Two, edited by Siba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section Five: The Brown Mug by Siba Smith returning from a pedestrian excursion to the notch of the white hills that wonderful gorge which makes the traveller the first time he approaches it stop and hold his breath and look up to the mountains on the right hand and on the left and down the deep valley that sweeps away below him and feel if he never did before an overpowering sense of the might and majesty of the eternal we had wandered down the valley of the clear, swiftly flowing Saco, had tarried a few hours at the beautiful village of Freiburg, had been into the little museum attached to the academy, and tried to hold at arm's length the long gun that shot the Indian chief Pogus. The sight of this gun gave us a strong desire to behold the scene of that memorable and tragical conflict— where the brave Lovewell and his devoted followers in the heart of the wilderness, fifty miles from any white inhabitants, fought through the long summer day with Poggis and his warriors, till but few on either side were left to tell the news of the encounter. The place was scarcely a mile distant, and taking a guide, we repaired to the spot. How could we do otherwise when we called to mind the ballad? THAT HAS EMBALMED THE MEMORY OF THE unfortunate BUT HEROIC LITTLE BAND. WITH FOOTSTEPS SLOW SHALL TRAVELERS GO, WHERE LOVEWELL'S POND SHINES CLEAR AND BRIGHT, AND MARK THE PLACE WHERE THOSE ARE LAID WHO FELL IN LOVEWELL'S BLOODY FIGHT. SO SAYS THE OLD BALLAD. THE NAME OF THE BARD IS LOST, BUT HE WAS A TRUE PROPHET. TRAVELERS DO GO AND VISIT LOVEWELL'S POND, AND WE WENT AMONG THE REST. We stood on its quiet margin and had the various scenes of battle pointed out to us, the place of ambush, the onset, the retreat to the water's edge, and the very spot where Chamberlain is supposed to have stood when he leveled his fowling piece and brought Pogus down, as saith again the old ballad. Twas Pogus led the Pequot tribe, as runs the fox would Pogus run, as howls the wild wolf would he howl, a large bearskin had Pogus on but chamberlain of dunstable one whom a savage ne'er shall slay met poggis by the water's side and shot him dead upon that day we stood and mused awhile upon the melancholy fate of lovewell and wyman and fry and their brave companions in arms and then turned silently away and pursued our rambles down the valley of the saco we had been upon our excursion about a week, sometimes camping out in the woods, and sometimes emerging into an opening, and stopping at some farmhouse to pass the night. When we found ourselves, one afternoon, approaching a small but tidy looking dwelling, not many miles from Saco village, the place looked inviting, and our stock of provisions was low. Come, Joe, said I, let us try our luck here for something to eat. Agreed, said Joe for I begin to feel hungry as a bear. The house stood a few rods from the road, and as we turned up the lane that led to it, we were suddenly challenged by a little sandy-colored dog, which came running towards us, growling and barking furiously, showing his teeth and bristling the hair on his shoulders like a young wolf. Let us shoot him, said Joe, and go about our business. And he actually made a motion to that effect, for he had a little touch of the harem-scarum about him but i forbade it at once and told him to put up his rifle at that moment an old lady appeared and called jowler stoutly away who readily obeyed her and retreated behind the house good woman said i as we came up to the door will you allow us to rest a half hour in your cottage oh certainly an hour and a half if you've a mind said the old lady looking at us sharply through her spectacles come come in my door is never closed against a civil caller with that we followed the old lady into her little parlor which was furnished in the most simple and plain mode of country life but exhibited in a marked degree an air of neatness and comfort the chairs she handed us were of round straight posts with high backs and the seats woven from the bark of the elm finely stripped and twisted the uncarpeted floor looked white and clean enough for a table a few ordinary pictures hung round the room which bore such decided marks of age that i at once inferred that they were relics of generations that had gone by a single oaken chair of antique appearance somewhat elaborately carved stood against the wall between the two front windows and over it hung a small looking-glass in an oaken frame that looked as though it might have reflected the faces of several successive generations a modest-looking fair-faced girl apparently about sixteen sat in the corner of the room with sewing-work in her hands as we entered she rose and curtsied to us with evident diffidence and resumed her work good woman said i would it be convenient for you to furnish us with a bit of a lunch anything at hand no matter what we have been in the woods all day and have not yet dined to be sure said the old lady such as we have shall be at your service in a few minutes we have nothing very dainty or very nice but if you have a real appetite for a plain dish perhaps sally can pick up something that will answer the purpose come sally continued the old lady addressing the young girl with the sewing-work set out the table and see if you can't get a mouthful or two of something for the gentleman to eat as sally left the room the eyes of the old lady followed her with doting fondness that's my granddaughter said she as the door closed she has lived with me ever since she was four years old and though i say it myself there isn't a nicer gal in the whole state of maine always ready and willing and so kind and always at work she can get a meal of victuals as well as ever i could in my life and better than i can now in my old age there's nothing about the house but what she knows how to do she has been fortunate said i to be brought up by such a grandmother well i don't know said the old lady it seems as if some children take to goodness naturally i never had the least trouble with her nothing but to tell her what to do and she always did it but she is not all your family said i yes said the old lady with a sigh she and i have lived alone here now going on three years ever since my poor husband died heaven rest his soul his body rests under that willow you see from the window yonder, in the corner of the lot. For the last two years of his life he suffered a painful lingering illness, and to see how that child waited upon him for two whole years, almost, as it were, day and night, was enough to melt the heart of Pharaoh. An angel from heaven couldn't have done more than she did. By this time Sally came in again and began to spread the table. The day was warm, and I asked for a glass of water. "'Maybe,' said the old lady, "'you might like a glass of our small beer, made of sarsaparilla and a few greens we get in the woods.' I thanked her, and she told Sally to bring some. "'Sally, my child,' said the old lady, as her granddaughter was going out of the door. Sally turned round. The old lady pointed to a little cupboard door in the corner of the room. Sally, who seemed readily to understand the signal, went to the cupboard, opened the door, "'took down a large brown earthen mug and went out. "'Instantly she returned and placed the mug full of beer upon the table, "'with a couple of tumblers. "'We filled the tumblers and drank some of the most delightful beverage we ever tasted. "'We could not help draining it, upon which the old lady urged us to take some more, "'adding that we need not be afraid to drink what we liked of it, "'for it was not only harmless, but very wholesome. "'We renewed our draft.' and in lifting and setting down the mug i was struck with the peculiar appearance and took it up and began to examine it on glancing at the old lady i perceived an expression of pleasure on her countenance pardon me madam said i but i think you have a choice article in this mug it is a choice article said the old lady it's a mug that we set a great deal by in our family we don't make much common use of it but when we have company come in and particularly strangers i like to set it before them for it is in some degree a record of our family history i still held the mug in my hand and had discovered a crowned head stamped upon it and the name of king william ah then this is an ancient affair is it said i but it can't be as old as king will can it though yes i believe it is said the old lady it has been in our family about a hundred and fifty years is it possible said i then it must have witnessed some interesting scenes in its day it has indeed said the old lady sit down a few minutes while sally is bringing in your lunch and i'll give you a short account of its history i thanked her heartily and took my seat that mug which we commonly call king william said the old lady because it bears king william's image and name a hundred and fifty years ago belonged to my great-grandfather whose name was humphrey scammon his youngest son samuel was my grandfather and when i was a child i have many and many a time sat on his knee and heard him tell the story of the brown mug and about being carried away by the indians in those days that is when my grandfather was a little boy there were but a few white inhabitants in this part of the county and they lived in constant fear of being killed or carried off by the indians a few families were settled round the saco falls and a few scattered about in other places they had built a strong fort on the south side of the river a little below where the village now stands to which the inhabitants in the vicinity on any alarm of the approach of indians fled for security And those who were so fortunate as to reach it escaped without injury mr humphrey scammon my great grandfather lived on the north side of the river a mile or two below the fort toward the river's mouth one day he was out at work with his oldest son upon a piece of marsh some ways from the house samuel my grandfather was then about ten years old and remained at the house with his mother samuel's mother called him and told him his poor father and brother were at work hard in the field and the day was hot and she wished they had a good mug of her new beer samuel at once said he would go and carry some to them and his mother took that same brown mug that same king william mug standing there now on that table and filled it with beer and sent samuel away with it to the field He had been gone but a very few minutes when he came running, breathless with terror, into the house and crying out, Mother, mother, the Indians are coming. I see them coming down the hill in the edge of the woods, and they are coming right this way. In all his fright, he still held the mug of beer in his hands, which he now placed on a shelf in the back part of the room. Oh, mother, let us fasten the doors, said Samuel, or they'll come in and kill us no child said his mother if we fasten the doors so they can't open them they'll set fire to the house and burn us up in it the only way is to let them come in and take our chance in a moment more a dozen savages were at the door and came grimly stalking into the house with their weapons of war in their hands after reaching the house and helping themselves to such things as they liked and emptying a couple of feather beds and tacking the ticks for bags to carry away their booty, they demanded of the woman where her husband was. She refused to inform them. They then told her they would kill her and the boy at once, but if she would tell them where her husband was, they would not hurt any of them. This induced her to tell where her husband and other son were at work in the field." The Indians took Mrs. Scammon and Samuel with them, and started for the field which had been pointed out to them. Here they succeeded also in making prisoners of Mr. Humphrey Scammon and his son James. Another party of Indians at this time came up, and the whole proceeded up the river, intending to capture all the whites they could find, and carry them prisoners to Canada, where they would receive a reward from the French, France at that time being at war with England they would probably have succeeded in taking more prisoners than they did and perhaps would have taken the fort itself had not a fortunate circumstance given seasonable alarm at the falls a boy by the name of robinson was passing with a team near the marsh where mr scammon was captured and discovered the indians in time to make his escape He mounted the horse that was attached to his team, taking his garters for a bridle, and rode with full speed up the river, till he came to Gray's Point, a little below the present village, and swam his horse across to Cow Island. Here he left his horse, plunged into the river, and swam the remaining channel himself, flew to the point as fast as possible, and immediately fired the alarm-gun. Most of the men of the settlement were away in the fields at work, and many of them at a considerable distance the women and children with the feeble old men fled into the fort as fast as they could where they had waited but a short time before the indians made their appearance on the side of the river and seemed to be preparing to come across to attack the fort in this emergency the women arrayed themselves in men's clothing put on men's hats and with muskets in their hands paraded themselves about in different parts of the fort where they could best be seen by the enemy the indians deceived by this formidable array of forces concluded the men of the settlement were all in the fort and well armed and that it would be useless to attempt an attack they accordingly in a short time retired carrying with them the family of mr scammon and a few other prisoners they had taken among the scattering settlements it isn't worth while to stop and tell now how much the prisoners suffered in their long and tedious journey through the woods to canada how they slept on the ground at night with hemlock boughs for their beds and often travelled all day on foot without a mouthful of food a year passed away and nothing had been heard of humphrey scammon or his family and the people on the saco had given them up for dead the indians occasionally continued their hostile invasions through the year so that the inhabitants on the river dared not venture far from the fort and when they found it necessary to labor in the field they kept loaded arms by their sides but this year on account of peace taking place between france and england many of the prisoners in canada who had been captured in the english colonies by the indians obtained their liberty and returned home and one day the people on the sacco were greatly surprised and rejoiced at seeing mr scammon and his family with several others who had been supposed to be lost make their appearance among them after stopping at the fort long enough to partake of refreshments and relate in a hurried manner the principal events of the year mr scammon was in haste to go and ascertain the condition of his homestead none of the inhabitants could give him much information respecting it for not one had visited it since the capture of the family a fact showing in a striking manner how closely they had been confined to certain limits through fear of the indians one of the neighbors indeed told him that he had been down the river about a month before so far that he could see the house and that it was still standing and looked very much as it used to Even this amount of information was received by the returning family, with great joy, and with eager haste, they started for that dear hut, their home, followed by half a dozen others who volunteered to accompany them. They crossed the river and walked thoughtfully down the river road, till they came out of the woods into the little opening that gave them a full view of their former habitation. They instinctively stopped and gazed a minute or two in silence. Mrs. Scammon turned her head away— for her eyes were filled with tears, and her face crimsoned with emotion. The sight once more of home, that dear home where she had passed so many happy days, bringing up at once its thousand heartfelt recollections, now mingled and shaded with the trials and sufferings of the past year, went at once to the inmost fountain of her heart, and her feelings gushed forth with all the truth and freedom of childhood. The boys, too, wept and laughed in the same breath, Theirs were the tears of joy, for the trials of life had not yet left the rust of sorrow upon their hearts. Mr. Scammon was a hearty, iron-nerved man, but even his chin quivered, as he said, Come, wife, let us go to the house and see, if there is anybody there to let us in. The party proceeded on and approached the door of the dwelling. Everything about it was noiseless and motionless as the abode of the dead, mr scammon lifted the latch and they all went in almost the first thing that met their eyes was the old house-cat seated upon the window-stool at the back part of the house and looking out of the window grey tabby had lived with them four or five years and the idea that she had stuck by the homestead and kept house alone during the whole long year of their absence at once affected them very sensibly at first tabby looked wild and sat out to run away but when mrs scammon called her the creature instantly recognized her voice and turned round and ran toward her she stopped a moment and looked up in her mistress's face and when mrs scammon patted her on the head she cried almost like a young child licked her hand pressed round and round her feet leaped upon her clothes and purred and showed such signs of joy and affection that it brought tears to the eyes of most of the company they now looked about the house There were the heaps of feathers which the indians had emptied out of the beds upon the floor and there were broken articles of furniture which they had thrown here and there all lying as they had been left on that fearful day presently samuel stepped along to the shelves in the corner of the room where he suddenly clapped his hands and called out with great glee oh mother here's the very mug of beer that i was carrying out to father that day when the indians came they all ran and looked and there it was sure enough they tasted of the beer it was rather stale it is true but there it was and the mug was more than half full notwithstanding all the hot days and all the cold days that it had been standing there through the whole year mr scammon took the mug and looked at it and said he samuel now this mug shall be yours and do you keep it as long as you live to remember the indians by and grandfather did keep it as long as he lived and when he died he left it to my father and when father died he left it to me and that's the story of the king william mug that stands on the table there before you said the old lady so now set up and take your lunch for sally's got it all ready and pray good woman said i what do you intend to do with the mug when you have done with it i said the old lady when my time comes and it won't be long i shall leave the mug to sally we seated ourselves at table i don't know said the old lady as you will find much of anything that you can eat i never knew a more groundless fear in my life said i glancing round the table for indeed a more inviting lunch i never sat down to there were delicious slices of cold beef's tongue a rich dish of fried ham and eggs bread of the very best quality soft milk biscuit with the freshest and sweetest butter i ever tasted cup-custards, and a perfect gem of an apple pie, with rich old cheese. Then there was the brown mug full of excellent beer, and the way the whole was served up was the most perfect pattern of taste and neatness I ever beheld. In short, we ate a very hearty dinner. During the operation of eating, I observed that Joe's eyes wandered very often across the room, and rested on Sally, who had again taken her sewing, and was seated by the window." Having finished our repast, we prepared to depart. I tried to make the old lady accept of money for the trouble we had caused her, but she seemed hurt and utterly refused. We gave them a parting blessing and went on our way. We walked side by side, Joe and I, I think nearly a mile, without speaking a word. At last, said I, Joe, you seem to be wrapped up very close in some sort of deep cogitation or other. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking, said Joe, if ever I get married, I mean my oldest son shall inherit the brown mug. Note, the story of the brown mug, with most of the other incidents in this sketch, is no fiction, but the simple truth. End of Section 5